those kids who are heading out to kids ministry uh, can do that now. Um, they can learn about Christ uh, at an age-appropriate level or um, your children might be staying in and that's equally great. Let's pray that we all grow in knowing Jesus now. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that uh, whatever stage of life we're at, you might speak to us this morning. Your word would give us deep assurance in Jesus and help us to delight in him and that we would see why he is worth it. He is worth all our lives and all that we have and that you give us wisdom in uh, responding well to that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, a while back uh, I worked with a guy. We were in a church that was growing. Uh, he saw that we needed to put on more staff so that more people might know about Jesus in the area. And so what he did was he self-funded his position for a year, actually a year and a half. So, so the church was paying him, but effectively he, I knew that he was putting in enough money to cover his salary. Wow, a year and a half salary. Uh, around the same time, same church, there was a member who passed away. And it turned out that in her will, she had left a house, a whole house, for the church to have and to sell and to use that money for the sake of God's kingdom. Uh, what is that? 400000 $600,000? I can't remember where the house was as to what it might have been worth. It was a fair lot. Uh, Joss and I were given a, a much lower amount of money recently from our family, um, very generously. Um, it, it was a fair amount to us. And I could immediately think of a lot of ways to use it. Paying off the mortgage, um, we always talk about going on a trip that could help us to save towards that. Lots of ways we could use that money. But to give the money to the church, that's... What do you think? A good thing? A, a nice thing if you can afford it? Do you think it's a bit extravagant, uh, over the top? Maybe even a waste? Our passage today begins with an extravagant gift. Mary has an extraordinary response to what Jesus has done for her. I mean, remember, Lazarus just recently had been raised to life. We saw it acted out in the kid's story. Um, Jesus called him out, having been dead for four days. He was alive. And so with the Passover coming, Jesus stops in on his friends, Mary, Martha and Lazarus, and Martha and Lazarus decide to, to throw him a feast as a sign of honour and thanks, thankfulness. But Mary, she does something even more extravagant. Let's start at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I mean, I find the makeup section of Myers hard enough to walk through. That is pretty overwhelming. And then if I happen to stop and look at the price of those little bottles, that's even more overwhelming. <laughs> I can't imagine what that house must have smelt like. A pint of nard, that's, that's a half a kilogram. Apparently it's worth a year's wages. And she pours it all on Jesus' feet. 
But I guess that's what you're willing to do when you're giving back the life of someone you love, isn't it? Apparently it was only 1983 when Bob Hawke's government introduced Medicare. And before that time, there were multiple families that would go bankrupt getting medical treatment. Even today, families will mortgage their house, they will run down their super. People will do anything if it will save the life of their wife or their husband or their child, won't they? Mary has been given her brother's life and so she gives an extraordinary gift. But there are some objections. Judas objects. John, who's writing the book, makes it very clear his objection is selfish. Uh, We're told up front, Jesus doesn't value, sorry, Judas doesn't value Jesus the way that Mary values him. Uh, He's going to end up betraying him. And so while he says he's concerned for the poor, it's not the poor he wants to spend the money on, it's it's on himself. Verse 4. But one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. But he did not say this because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. I I call me sceptical, but every time I hear a CEO talking about serving the shareholders, I can't help but remember that a large portion of their salary often is shares and options and There's a bit of self-serving going on there. That's Judas here. He's objecting to Jesus being honoured, but it's because he wants the money for himself. And likewise, there's another group objecting to Jesus being honoured, and that's the chief priests. Jump down to verse 9. They want the influence for themselves. Let's Let's read it. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Uh, Chief priests object to Jesus being honoured, and it's selfish because they want the influence themselves. But here's the thing. If you don't value Jesus the way that Mary does, then what he says is actually it can sound really selfish. Have a look again at what he says in verse 7. He says that at least at this moment in time, during the feast of the Passover when he's about to die, he is more important than the poor. Verse 7 and 8. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus says he's more important than the poor. That is so not Jesus, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is a person who heals the weak. He cares for the widow. He helps the poor and he welcomes sinners and outsiders. How can Jesus say a foot wash, a costly foot wash, a year's salary foot wash, how could he say that that is more important than the needs of the poor? 
And, and even notice what he says about Mary. Mary has, I presume, responded to the fact that her, her brother's back alive. For her, the joy is in Lazarus. But Jesus turns it around and makes it all about him. It's about his death, preparing for his burial. It's all Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. See, this is one of those places where C.S. Lewis, Lewis's famous observation about Jesus really rings true. The, the way that Jesus talks about himself, either he is a lunatic with no sense of reality and other people. He may, may be a liar with, with this egotistical focus that means that he matters more than anyone else, or he is Lord. What he says about himself, he is claiming so much, he is claiming to be so important in this world that nothing less than recognising him as God is an appropriate response. So yes, Judas and the chief priests are being selfish, but what do you reckon about Jesus? What do you reckon about his claims about himself? See, the question is, who is Jesus that, that would justify this sort of ridiculous extravagance? What, what is he bringing? What is he offering? And the answer is, he's, he's bringing an end of suffering. That's what Jesus has come to do. He is the Christ, God's promised king, and that king brings abundance, victory, and the end of death. Let's look at the rest of the chapter. See, the people come and celebrate Jesus on this first Palm Sunday. If you've ever heard about Palm Sunday, um, one of the big emphasis, they go all out here, don't they? It's a ticker tape parade, and they use palm branches to celebrate Jesus. Now, I was really interested in the palm branches thing. Why palm branches? It looks like palm branches is a picture of abundance. That seems to be the theme. So first of all, back in the Old Testament, God said on the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a different feast for the Passover, Feast of Tabernacles remembered God leading the people through the desert into this promised land where they'd have milk and honey and abundance. And how do they celebrate the day? Have a look at Leviticus 23, verse 40. Um, on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles... You are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord, your God, for seven days. So palm branches, it's abundance, it's rescue. And so then you get it again, 2nd century BC. So this is not the Old Testament or the New Testament. It's in between. Um, the Maccabeans drove the Greeks out of Jerusalem, and the people celebrate with palm branches. 1 Maccabees 13. On the 23rd day of the second month in the year 171, there was a great celebration in the city because this terrible threat to the security of Israel had come to an end. Simon and his men entered the fort singing hymns of praises and thanksgiving while carrying palm branches and playing harps, cymbals and lyres. It's this liberation from oppression and God is going to provide for us. And even after Jesus, you get this. So uh, last thing is a, a picture of some coins minted between 66 AD and 70 AD, so after the life of Jesus. But this is when Jerusalem is fighting to be independent from Rome. And what do they stick on their coins? Palm branches. Because God, God's promise was that this king would come and we'd all sit under our own tree, enjoy the fruits, it'd be prosperous, it'd be abundant. Abundance and it comes through victory. Abundance because the king has won. And so the people, they welcome Jesus and they celebrate victory and they talk about God's victorious king, verse 12. And the next day, the great crowd that had come to the, of the, 
before the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna means save us. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. They quote Psalm 118, we read it earlier, this king who's attacked by the nations but then he comes in victorious, he, he enters and the, the, everyone's celebrating. Well, there's Zechariah 9. Uh, Zechariah 9, speaking to the people at a time when their other nations are ruling over them and it's this picture of all the nations being driven out by God and then their king will come in on a donkey. Uh, verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. But there's something about this king. His people keep getting it and yet not getting it. They recognise he's the king, they celebrate his coming, but they don't really understand what these Bible passages are saying. Verse 16. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had to be done to him. See, Psalm 118, the king wins... But it's an unexpected victory. He's not the king everyone would have expected. It's the, in fact, at the end of the psalm, it talks about the stone that the builders rejected becoming the capstone. It is the unexpected victory. Zechariah 9, the king is victorious, but he's riding a donkey. Humble and riding a donkey. He, somehow he has learned a humility through this process to depend on God. You see... This is the king that brings abundance. He does come in victory, but the victory he wins, well, we know it's going to be at the cross. The abundance that matters most is he's going to defeat death. Verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Right? Lazarus' death is the trigger. It's the, the key thing that's going on. And the Pharisees, they just say more than they know because in the next verse, it, the Greeks start coming, they want to be introduced to Jesus. But that's for next week. For now, why does Jesus deserve extravagance? Why is Mary right to pour this perfume on his feet because he's God's king and he's bringing abundant victory and the defeat of death. See, Jesus is the final answer to the brokenness of this world. It's one thing to treat the symptom. It's quite a different thing to bring the cure. That's why Jesus can, should be honoured above the poor. Or, or the money was better spent on Jesus than the poor. Sorry, that's a better way to say it. See, poverty is a symptom that is something is wrong with this world. Poverty is a symptom. War is another symptom. COVID-19, sickness, natural disasters, death. They are a reminder that this world is broken. And as humans, we devote all sorts of energy to fighting the evils that happen in this world. We spend billions on welfare. 2% of our domestic gross product we spend on defence. 10% on our healthcare system. Uh, we invest energy in fighting those things, but they are the symptoms. The real problem in our, is our relationship with God. The real problem is we ignore and disobey Him, and all those other things are consequences of our sin. 
Yes, caring for the poor is still important, but Jesus, he is so much more important. Jesus brings life in abundance. Jesus is victorious. He defeats death. That's why Mary was right. So, so my point this morning is simply to say, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. He, he deserves this sort of great gift from Mary because you want the, the permanent thing, not the temporary thing. Um, recently in our household, our old kettle died and so it was time to buy a replacement and being a typical male husband, I guess, um, I thought, let's go for the cheapest one. Uh, it took a while for Jocelyn to convince me that that was a very wrong move. I uh, went and purchased the cheapest kettle and the uh, first time I used it, I went to pick it up, I burnt my hand and then as I opened the lid, yep, it's already starting to fall apart. So we have now bought a much better quality kettle because we wanted something that was going to last, something that was permanent. It's good to give money to poor and disaster relief. We should help people in need, but that will always be temporary. Defeat one sickness and we'll encounter another. Win one war and another will come. Only Jesus brings full and final victory. So that's important to remember when we're setting priorities as a church. We should care for the poor. In fact, this morning as I preach this, I don't feel like we're in danger of leaning too far down that path. I, don't feel, like we, I feel like we could learn more about caring for the poor as our church family. That's, I'm, I'm not against that. Uh, Joss and I make sure that we, our budget includes giving to the needy and meeting needs overseas and locally. That's just part of what we should do. But at some point we do need to remember Jesus is where the real hope of the world lies. And so I want this morning to encourage you to be generous to Jesus. Uh, I want you to think about and reflect together how can we be even extravagant at times to the cause of Jesus. Now, I want to be really careful here. Mary's moment was a unique moment. I'm not saying we always give that much. Mary's moment was unique because this was just before Jesus' burial. It was, what she did was a sign. I don't want to say that we're, our giving is exactly the same, but at the same time, I think this is a good moment to reflect. So, what, what do we hear about this story? When we hear about giving people, giving money to Jesus, do we see waste or do we genuinely believe it's worth it? Um, so let me think about ways that, that we can give as a church family. I'll talk about ways within our church family, but also beyond. So as a church family, one of the most obvious things is we are about to have our annual congregational meeting. I hope we're still able to meet together at that point. Um, and we will decide on a budget for our church family. And if you have a look at it, the, the reports are going to be out next week, so you can have a look at the budget and see how we're spending our money. We spend some of it on administration. We send some on maintenance and equipment. Uh, a lot of it, though, we use to pay staff salaries. And the reason is ministry happens through people. So if our staff are doing the right job and we're working hard, then hopefully more ministry should be happening. So I'd encourage you, consider the budget, um, consider how you might be part of that and use your money appropriately to give towards that. That'd be great. Uh, it's not the only way that you can be generous in our church family. We talk about our mission partners. Um, our desire, like we set apart a part of our budget to support those missionaries, but we, we want you to build a relationship with them, with them. It'd be great if you think, hey, I'd love to support them more concretely. I'm going to become a personal supporter, get their prayer points. I might even become a regular giver just directly to their mission organisation to support them. 
uh, we'd really encourage that. Great chance to be generous, and uh, if you can afford that, that's excellent. Um, there's our chaplains. We talk about the local chaplains and their need for support at times. Support them. Um, it was exciting to see everyone get behind RI only recently and the giving that happened there. Great to be generous to God's kingdom. And then there are other organisations, ones that our church doesn't support. Maybe you have a, a missionary organisation or some other ministry and you're excited by that and so you give to see that happen. Can I encourage you in that? It is great to be generous to God's kingdom. But I'm going to end with one last thought and it's one of those impossible applications. So I'm saying this, I imagine it's probably impossible for most of us. But I want to throw it out there because I think it's the passage is there. I want to put to you the Mary challenge. What if once in your life, I'm not sure when this might be, maybe when you receive an inheritance, or you, you've got some other opportunity, but imagine if you had a goal that once in your life you were going to give a year's salary, the equivalent of a year's salary, to see people know Jesus. Wow. That's heavy. Uh, maybe you'll have an opportunity to do that. I, I, I don't know. But here's the thing. As I reflect on that, I learn a lot about how I value Jesus. If I think that's crazy, why would you do that? What is, what's going on in terms of my valuing of Jesus? If I long for the opportunity to do that, if that's something that, if God would make it possible for me, I'd love to go into. That's, that's exciting, isn't it? It shows I might appreciate how much Jesus has done for me. So I'll throw it out there for us to reflect on. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, keep giving us wisdom to be generous well. Um, as we reflect each on how we use our money, help us to stand accountable before you, not pressured to use our money to, for your kingdom's sake, but we pray that it would be born out of gratitude. Help us to see Jesus and why he's worth it. Help us to see the joy that he has defeated sin and death, that he is the permanent solution to what this world really needs. And we pray that you would give us opportunities to be involved in his work and use our whole lives for the sake of his kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.